Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Right now at Melbourne Heights, we are in the middle of a sermon series where we're talking about prayer. And if there's one thing that I've learned about prayer as I've been working on the sermon series, it's that prayer is a really large topic. And at best, I'm only able to talk about part of what prayer is all about in each one of these sermons. But the power of prayer is when we're able to put what we learn in each one of these sermons together. So last week we talked about prayer being when we pour our hearts out to God. Well, this week we're going to see that there is more to that, and we're going to start putting those pieces together. So let's get right into this episode sermon, and you'll see what I mean. I want to start out this morning by telling you a story. Long ago, six old men lived in a village in India, and each of these men were born blind. Now, the people in the village where they lived, they loved these old men, and they did everything that they could to help take care of them. And one of the villagers' favorite things to do were to tell these old men stories about the wonders of the world all around them. And these six old men, they loved to hear all of the stories that their fellow villagers told them, but they were really curious about one thing in particular that the villagers had to say. And that revolved around elephants. These six blind old men just couldn't understand, they couldn't wrap their minds around elephants. Because the villagers had told them that elephants were these massive creatures that were able to trample forests and carry heavy loads on their backs and that their trumpet calls were loud enough that they would scare young and old alike. But the villagers also told them that their emperor would ride around on the back of an elephant whenever he wanted to travel throughout their kingdom. And these six old men couldn't understand how someone as wise as their emperor would do something so foolish as ride around on the back of such a dangerous creature. So these old men, they argued about what elephants must be like day and night, and eventually they started to get on the nerves of everyone else that lived in their village. So their fellow villagers arranged for these old men to take a trip to go and visit the palace where they could encounter an elephant for themselves. So the old men, they set out on their trip, and eventually they made the long journey and arrived at the palace. And when they arrived at the palace, they were greeted by one of their former villagers, a friend of theirs who had become a gardener in the palace. And the gardener led them into a courtyard where an elephant awaited these six old men. One by one, the gardener took each of the old men over to the elephant and allowed them to touch the elephant for themselves. The first old man stretched out his hand and placed it on the smooth side of the elephant. As he ran his fingers across the side of the elephant, he thought, these elephants are big and they're strong like a wall, so these must really be powerful creatures. The second old man came out and as he stretched his hand out, he touched the trunk of the elephant. And as he held the trunk in his hand, he thought that it was nimble, so the elephant must be something like a giant snake. The third old man came forward and he reached out his hand and he touched the tip of a tusk on the elephant. And he thought to himself that an elephant was sharp and dangerous like the point of a spear. The fourth old man came up and stretched out his arm and he wrapped it around one of the elephant's legs. And he thought to himself that an elephant was like some sort of massive, enormous cow. The next old man came forward and he reached out his hand and he touched the elephant's ear. 
And he thought to himself that an elephant was one of two things. An elephant was either some sort of giant fan that kept the, the, the emperor cool as he rode around the kingdom, or an elephant was like a magic carpet that the emperor was able to ride over mountains and treetops to go wherever he wanted in their kingdom. The sixth old man, the last old man, came forward, and he reached out his hand, and he touched the coarse elephant's tail. And he thought to himself, why, an elephant's nothing more than an old rope. Dangerous indeed, he scoffed. Well, after each old man had his chance to reach out and touch the elephant for themselves, the gardener led the entire group over to a shady spot underneath a tree where they could rest, and he could go and draw them some water to drink before they made their return trip to their village. And as the old men sat together underneath that shady tree, they started talking about what they had experienced. And it didn't take long before these old men were arguing all over again about what an elephant was truly like. But as their, uh, as their argument reached its heights, they, they heard a voice call out to them, Will you stop yelling? Because what the men didn't understand is that they were arguing right underneath the emperor's window, and the emperor had been taking a nap. But the emperor looked down at these men sitting underneath, and he said to them, How can each of you be so certain of what an elephant is really like? The old men sat and they thought about it for a minute, and realizing that the emperor was a wise man, they decided that their best course of action was to keep their mouths closed. Eventually, the emperor spoke again, and he said, an elephant is a large animal. Each of you only touched a part of it. None of you have the entire picture of what an elephant is. Now be quiet so I can finish my nap. Now I told you that story because last week we started into a sermon series where we're talking about prayer. And prayer is kind of like the elephant that we heard about in the story. Prayer is a rather large animal that's made up of a lot of different parts. And last week we talked about one part of what prayer is when I said and I told you that prayer is about pouring your heart out to God. Prayer is about pouring your heart out to God. But if all you do when you pray is pour your heart out to God, then you're only getting it partly right. And that's because prayer isn't just about pouring your heart out to God. Prayer is also about letting God pour His heart out to you. Prayer is about letting God pour His heart out to you. And just by looking around the room right now, I can see a few heads that are nodding because that sounds pretty good, right? I mean, it sounds like something that we should be doing. When we pray, we should want to let God pour his heart out to us. But how does that actually work? How does God pour his heart out to us? I mean, is God going to send some handwritten notes that will fall down from the heavens that we're going to be able to find that will tell us what's in God's heart for us and for our lives? I mean, that would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be so great if you could just walk around and you could find a handwritten note that God had sent down for the heavens for you to read so that you knew exactly what God wants for you and for your life? But as awesome and as incredible as that would be, I've got some bad news for you. It's probably not going to happen. You're probably never going to get a handwritten note that falls down from the heavens into your lap that tells you exactly what God wants for you. So at the end of this service, when we wrap up today, 
sorry, there's not going to be any notes waiting for you as you walk out to your cars or go about to the rest of your day. So, if God's not going to send us a handwritten note that tells us what's in His heart for us, then how do we know what God wants for us and for our lives? Well, here's the thing. Just because God's not going to send you a handwritten note that tells you what's in His heart for you, it doesn't mean that God hasn't written down everything that He wants for you and for your life. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is a written record where God reveals who He is to us, and He tells us what He wants for us and from our lives. So, if you want to know what's in God's heart for you, well, you need to go to the place where God writes down everything that He wants for you and for your life. Or to put it as simply as I possibly can, if you want to know what's in God's heart for you, if you want God to pour His heart out to you, you have to read the Bible. If you want God to pour His heart out to you, you have to read the Bible. And I'm not just talking about one passage inside of the Bible, because there's not one particular passage in the Bible that I or anybody else can point to and say, this passage, this passage right here is what's in God's heart for you. Or this passage, this passage right here is what God desires for you and for your life. Or this passage, this passage right here tells you what God's will is for you. It's just not the way that it works. Instead, there are bits and pieces of God's heart that are poured out all throughout the Bible for us to find. And we call these little bits and pieces of God's heart that are poured out for us all throughout the Bible promises. And the promises that we find in the Bible tell us what's in God's heart for each of us. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12, God tells us this. He says, I'm watching over my word until it is fulfilled. So Jeremiah 1, verse 12, God tells us that God is watching over His Word until it is fulfilled. But what exactly does that mean? Well, it means that if God makes a promise, He is going to watch over that promise until it is fulfilled. Because God, God is a God of His Word, and God always keeps His promises. So, of course, that should beg the question, well, what does God promise us in the Bible? Well, there are a lot of people out there that will tell you that God promises you all sorts of things that aren't actually true. So I want to take a second right here and clear up some of those false promises that people tell you that God makes for us. So here's a few things that God is not going to promise you, okay? God is not going to promise to make you rich. God is not going to promise to make you famous. God is not going to promise to make you powerful. God is not going to promise that your life is going to be nothing but rainbows and puppy dogs from here on out. So if those are the kind of promises that you want God to make for you, if those are the kind of promises you want to find as you read the Bible, you're out of luck. Because those aren't the kind of promises that God makes. So what promises does God make to us? Well, there's actually a lot of promises that we find inside of the Bible. Depending on the translation of the Bible that you're reading, you can find the English word promise as many as 371 times in the Bible. It's 371 times that the word promise is used inside of the Bible. 
That's more than one promise for every day of the year. And as incredible as it is to think that there are 371 times that the word promise is used in the Bible, it actually only scratches the surface of how many promises there really are inside of the Bible. Most biblical scholars will agree that there are over 3,000 promises that are found inside of the pages of the Bible. 3,000 promises. That's 3,000 times when God pours out a little bit of God's heart for us to find. Now, obviously, we don't have time to talk about all 3,000 promises that you can find inside of the Bible today. Y'all get really tired of me if I even tried to. But we will talk about a few of them a little bit later on. But since we can't talk about all 3,000 of the promises that you can find inside of the Bible today, what I want to do is give you a few tips to help you identify it when you find one of God's promises inside of the Bible. So if you're the kind of person who likes to take notes, now's a great time to grab a pen and a piece of paper or open up that notes app on your phone because I'm going to give you four tips. Four tips that will help you identify the promises that God makes for us. And I've already alluded to tip number one, but here it is again. Tip number one is read your Bible. Read your Bible. You're not going to find something if you're not looking for it. It's like hunting for buried treasure. You're never going to find a buried treasure if you always sit on your couch. No, if you want to find the treasure, you have to go out and you have to look for it, and you have to look for it in the right spot. Well, when we want to find the promises that God makes for us, we have to go out and we have to look for them. And we have to look for them in the right place. And that place is the Bible. So if you want to know what God promises you, it starts by reading your Bible. All right? Tip number two. When you're reading your Bible, you need to look for times when God speaks in the future tense. Look for times when God speaks in the future tense. What that means is that when you're reading the Bible and you hear God say things like, I will or I shall, your ears should perk up and it should really get your attention. Because when God is speaking in the future tense, he is telling you about something that God is going to do. God is telling you about a promise that God is making. But you have to be careful here because just because God speaks in the future tense, that doesn't necessarily mean that God is speaking to you. So that leads us into my third tip to help you recognize when you find a promise that God makes for you. And tip number three to finding God's promises for you is to make sure that promise isn't a one-time promise. Make sure that the promise that you find isn't a one-time promise. Because there are going to be times in the Bible where God makes a one-time promise. And that promise is directed to a specific person living in a specific situation, and God makes a specific promise just for them. But there are other times when you're reading the Bible where you're going to find multi, the, the same promise made to multiple people facing multiple situations. And when you find one of those promises, well, there's a pretty good chance that that is a promise that God makes to everyone. Let me give you an example just to help you understand what I mean here. So in the book of Joshua, the people of Israel have returned to the promised land after being enslaved in Egypt. And as they return to the promised land, they are fighting to reclaim the land from the people that are living there. 
So inside of the book of Joshua, God promises the people of Israel that he is going to wipe out their enemies. But this is a promise that God, a specific promise that God will wipe out the people of Israel's enemies, made to a specific group of people, the people of Israel, facing a specific situation. They have returned to the promised land, and it's been inhabited by other people. So this is a one-time promise that's made to the people of Israel, not to everyone that follows God. So, you may not like to hear it this morning, but God does not promise that he's going to wipe out your enemies for you. Not what we find in the Bible. So, if you find God, if while you're reading the Bible, you find God speaking in the future tense, and if you find God saying the same thing more than one time, that leaves one last tip to see if this is something that God is really promising for you. So, tip number four is to ask yourself if this promise will make you rely on God more or if it will make you rely on God less. Will this promise make you rely on God more or will it make you rely on God less? Now here's the reality. What we want is promises that will cause us to rely on God less. That's why all those things I talked about earlier in the sermon are false promises because each one of those make us rely on God less. So yeah, when we're reading the Bible, we want to find promises like where God's going to give us the winning lottery numbers. Or we want to find promises where God says he's going to make us feel 10, 20, 30 years younger. Or we want to find the promises where God says, hey, from here on out, your life is going to be nothing but rainbows and puppy dogs ahead. But even though we want to find promises that make us rely on God less, that's not actually what God wants for us. God wants us to rely on him more, not less. God wants us to rely on him more, not less. So if you find a passage inside of the Bible, a promise that, you, that would cause you to rely on God less, then it's not a promise that God makes for you. But if you read the Bible, and you find times where God speaks in the future tense, and you figure out if this is a promise that God makes to multiple people in multiple situations, and it's a promise that will help you rely on God more, then there's a really good chance that you found a promise that God makes for you and for your life. Now, as we started today's sermon, I told you a story that showed us the fact that prayer is made up of multiple parts. Prayer is a large animal, and it's made up of multiple parts. So what I want to do now is I want to put together the two things that we've talked about when it comes to prayer over the last two weeks. So last Sunday I told you that prayer is about pouring your heart out to God. And this morning I've told you that prayer is about letting God pour his heart out to you. So what happens when we put those two parts together? What happens when we pour our hearts out to God and we let God pour his heart out? us. Well, this is something that the Apostle Paul, who is the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century, tells us about in a letter that he writes to the churches in the ancient city of Philippi. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, this is what Paul tells us. He writes, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. 
then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is telling us in these two verses is that when your anxiety and God's promises meet, you will find peace. When your anxiety and God's promises meet, you will find peace. And let's just be honest here. We have all had a lot to be anxious about over the last 14, 15 months as we've lived through a pandemic. So we want you to find this peace that God promises to us all. But Paul tells us that the first step for us to be able to find this peace is to bring our petitions, our requests, our demands to God in prayer. The first thing we have to do is to pour our hearts out to God. To let God know that we're anxious and why we're feeling anxious about those things. And to let God know what could happen that would take our anxiety away. So that's what I challenge you to do last week. Last week I challenged you to spend some time over the last seven days thinking about all the things in your life that you feel anxious about. And I challenge you to write down every one of those things. So I hope that you did that, but if not, I want you to take just a second here and think about whatever it is that's causing you to feel anxiety in your life right now so that you can bring it to God in your prayers. Like for me, one of the things that I feel anxious about right now is being in larger crowds of people, kind of like we're in for worship today. And I feel this way, I think, just because of how we've been programmed as we've lived through this pandemic. I mean, we've been social distancing for more than a year, and we've been told that we need to stay six feet apart from each other, and we've been told that we need to isolate inside of our homes a whole lot more. So most of the people that I've seen over the last year are my wife and daughter who live under the same roof that I live under. So even though I'm fully vaccinated, even though the cases of COVID-19 are continuing to decline, and even though the CDC has recently changed their guidelines about how we can interact with each other, I still feel anxious when I'm in groups of people. And I know that there are people that are worshiping with us right now, whether you're joining us online or you're here in person, that feel the same way, that feel a little bit anxious whenever you're in bigger groups of people. But maybe there's other health things that are going on in your life that you're feeling anxious about right now. You might be what they call a COVID-19 long hauler, and you're still feeling the effects of this virus even weeks or months after you were initially diagnosed with it. You may be anxious about the toll that this virus continues to take on your health. Or you may be anxious about health things that have absolutely nothing to do with COVID-19 whatsoever. The last time you went and you saw your doctor, they may have told you that your blood pressure, your cholesterol were getting a little bit too high, so they needed to make changes to your medication. Or maybe you have a surgery that's scheduled uh, in the next few weeks or months that you're feeling anxious about. Or you may be feeling anxious about what's happening with your financial life. Because even though the experts tell us that our economy is rebounding from this pandemic, there's still plenty of people who are unemployed, plenty of people who are struggling to make ends meet. Or you may just be worried about your finances every time that you step up to a gas pump and you see that the prices have gone up higher because you know that those gas prices are going to take a toll on your bank account. Or maybe you graduated from college years ago and you're still struggling to pay off those student loans that you took out and you're anxious if those things are ever going to go away. 
You might be anxious about something that is happening in your marriage or something that's going on with your kids. Or you could feel anxious about a million other things. But the first step, if you want to find the peace that Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 4, the first thing you have to do if you want to find the peace that God promises us is you have to be willing to take whatever it is you're feeling anxious about and bring it to God in your prayers. And think just a second about how incredible it is that you can even do that. The God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including you, cares enough about you that he wants to hear everything in your life that's making you feel anxious. So if you do that, if you pour out your heart to God and let God know what you're anxious about, I want to talk about what God does when God pours his heart out to us to help us find peace. And to do that, I want to talk about one particular promise that we find made over and over again throughout the Bible. This is a promise that we find over and over again, and it seems like any time that somebody is facing a situation where they're feeling anxious or stressed or overwhelmed, that God makes this promise to them. We find this promise made to Abraham. When Abraham is feeling anxious and stressed out about having kids. Now remember, God promises Abraham that he is going to make Abraham into a great nation. But as the years and the decades have gone by, Abraham still isn't a father. He goes from being 70 to 80 to 90, approaching 100 years old, and there are no kids in his life. So Abraham is feeling anxious about that, wondering if he's ever going to become a father at all, let alone a father of a great nation. And in Genesis chapter 15, God makes this promise to Abraham, as he's feeling anxious about everything that's going on in his life, God promises, I will be with you. It's the same promise that God makes in Genesis chapter 26. In Genesis chapter 26, the land of Canaan is experiencing a severe famine. The promised land is experiencing this severe famine. And Isaac, who is Abraham's son, and don't miss that detail. Abraham was promised that he would have sons. Isaac was the fulfillment of that promise because God always keeps his promises. But Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, are starting to think about leaving this land that God had promised them and their descendants to go to another place where they can find some food. So as they're thinking about leaving to go someplace else where they can find food, in Genesis chapter 26, God tells them to stay where they are and God promises that he will be with them. It's the same promise that God makes in Genesis chapter 31 to Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. And Jacob is feeling anxious about the relationship that he has with his brother, Esau. So Jacob is wondering if he should go back home and try to make amends with his brother for everything that he's done wrong that's ruined their relationship. And in Genesis chapter 31, God speaks to Jacob and he tells him to go back home. And he promises Jacob, I will be with you. It's a promise that is made in Genesis chapter 48 when Jacob is nearing the end of his life and his son Joseph is anxious about how he's going to be able to continue on after his father's death. So as Joseph is getting ready to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his father reminds him of God's promise. Dad tells him, God will be with you. 
That's four times in one book of the Bible where God promises that he will be with us. But I can keep on going because God makes this promise to the people of of Israel as they are leaving Egypt or as they've been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years and they're feeling anxious, wondering if their enslavement is ever going to end. God tells them that he will be with them. It's a promise that God makes to Joshua as Joshua is getting ready to to take over the leadership reins of the people of Israel from Moses after the people have been led out of led out of slavery and they've come back into the promised land and and Joshua doesn't know if he's going to be able to fill Moses' shoes and God speaks to him and tells him that I will be with you. It's a promise that God makes to Solomon when Solomon is wondering if he is ever going to be be able to live up to his father's legacy. And he's wondering if he can ever fill the shoes of the great King David. And God promises Solomon that as he takes over the reins of the kingdom from his father, I will be with you. It's a promise that God makes to the people of Israel when they are invaded by outside armies and they're defeated and conquered and they are forced to spread out and go off and to live in exile far away from the only homes they had ever known. But God promises in spite of all the anxiety that they're feeling, that he will be with them. It's a promise that Jesus makes to the disciples. When the disciples are standing on a hilltop on the verge of seeing Jesus ascend into the heavens and being left on their own to share the good news of Jesus throughout the world, Jesus tells them, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And I can keep on going. We find this promise over and over again in the Bible because it's one of the greatest promises that God makes to us. That promise is that God will be with you no matter what. God will be with you no matter what. No matter what you're feeling anxious about, God promises that He will be with you. God will be with you as you live through a pandemic. God will be with you if you have to isolate at home. God will be with you if you're experiencing financial problems or if you have other health concerns in your life. God will be with you if you're going through a rough spot in your marriage or if you're having problems with your kids. God will be with you, period. God will be with you no matter what. And that's just one promise that God makes to us. That's just one of the things that God promises for all of us. But God has more. God has more in His heart for you. More than we could possibly talk about in one sermon. More than I could possibly talk about in all the sermons that I'll probably ever preach. But if you want to know what's in God's heart for you, you have to do the work and seek out God's promises. So I want to challenge you and encourage you today to read your Bible, to look for times when God speaks in the future tense, to pay attention if this is a promise that God makes to multiple people facing multiple different situations, to see if this is a promise that will make you rely on God more, or if it will make you rely on God less. Because God, God wants you to have peace. God doesn't want you to feel anxious. But when you bring your anxiety to God and you let God tell you what's in His heart for you, 
you'll find that peace that God promises us all. And you'll find so many more promises than just that. And when we hold on to these promises that God makes us, we get to have bright hope for tomorrow. We get to have hope that our tomorrows are going to be better than our yesterdays. We get to have hope that we can face any problem in our lives, any situation, any issue at all, knowing that God is always with us. And that's a promise that God will always keep. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we just thank you so much for the promises that you make for us. And as we continue to live through times that make us feel anxious, God, we're just so thankful that you promise that you will always be with us. So God, my prayer is that for anyone who's feeling anxiety in their life right now, that they also feel your presence, your comfort, knowing that you are with them no matter what. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey everybody, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this podcast has shown you that prayer is about so much more than just pouring your heart out to God. It's also about letting God pour His heart out to you. So I encourage you to do what we've talked about throughout the sermon, to find God's heart for you by exploring the promises that God makes for you inside of the Bible. Now, in our next episode, we're going to keep digging deeper into what prayer is all about. So we hope that that you'll join us when that next episode drops. It'll drop next Tuesday morning. And as always, if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. But don't forget that you can also come and worship with us live every Sunday morning. We worship at 1030 a.m. Eastern Time at mhbclouisville.com slash live. And we would love to have you come join us. So until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. I'll be praying for you and we'll see you back here next Tuesday for another sermon podcast.